Well, on the 20th of July, 1969, what happened? Yeah, that's right. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Lightyear... <laughs> oh, no, wait. I was talking to my kids earlier this morning. Buzz Aldrin... Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon. Or did they? You know, I find conspiracy theories to be uh, very entertaining, although somewhat far-fetched. I mean, obviously they landed on the moon, and we have uh, photographs, we have video of them on the moon bouncing around up there. You know, we have moon rocks that they brought back. We have mission logs. Uh, we have the testimony of the people that worked on the Apollo project. On the other hand, conspiracy theorists might point out to you that uh, you know, you're relying a lot on other people's words. I mean, you've never actually seen a moon rock. You think you have at the Smithsonian, but that could be anything, right? Um, those videos could very easily have been staged in a studio. Did you know that there is a photograph of the American flag that actually appears in front of the crosshairs of the camera? which implies maybe it was superimposed later, and it has a ripple in it when there's really no air on the moon to make a ripple. Did you know that uh, in a photograph of an astronaut's visor, if you look carefully in the reflection, there is a piece of equipment that does not appear on any uh, moon landing equipment, but looks suspiciously like a stage light? There's a picture of a, a rock with a perfectly engraved C on it so-called sea rock, NASA explains, was maybe a, a, curly, a curled up hair that interfered with the development process. Have you ever noticed that there's no pictures, uh, in the picture of the Earth taken from the moon, there's no stars in the background? Well, NASA says, well, the camera wasn't of a high enough quality, but the same Hasselblad camera when used on Earth to take a picture of the moon does pick up the stars. Makes you think, doesn't it? And you wouldn't be the only ones. After this ran on a TV um, documentary series, there was a poll taken, and 20% of Americans, 20% of Americans and 28% of Russians believe that at least the first moon landing was faked. So, is there any incontrovertible evidence that can silence the conspiracy theorists once and for all? We'll get back to that. First, let's look at an event in history that was far easier to prove, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, please. 1 Timothy chapter 3. You'll know that Paul is writing this letter to uh, his young protege, the pastor Timothy. And in it, he includes what is widely deemed to be a hymn or a confession or a creed that would be sung or recited in a church gathering much like this one. Now, we pick up the thread in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 14. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And here's the confession. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, 
taken up in glory. And in this text, we will see six harmonizing voices, really six evidences in this Easter hymn. And the first line of evidence or proof of the resurrection, proof that our faith is real, is called manifestation. We'll also see vindication and confirmation, proclamation, globalization, and ascension. One at a time, though. We're going to start with manifestation. Look at verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. Now, the word here, mystery, mysterion in the, in the Greek, it doesn't mean uh, like a, an Area 51 unsolved mystery, X-Files type thing. Uh, this is a word that means, in Greek, uh, a truth that was hidden before but is now revealed. So what was hidden before and now revealed? Well, it says there, godliness. This is the revelation of godliness, that Jesus was godliness made manifest, manifested in the flesh. Nobody had seen godliness the way they saw godliness when Jesus came on the scene. Now, Jesus was not a spirit. He was not an emanation, as the Gnostics claimed. Gnostics are, are people, uh, shortly after the, the, the early church was planted, there was this idea that there were these Christians out there that had secret knowledge. Special knowledge. You, you meet them today still. There's people out there who believe that they have more knowledge than what you have just with the Bible. You know, Mormons have secret knowledge and the Jehovah's Witnesses have special knowledge and even some charismatics claim to have a special word from the Lord that you other Christians don't have. You just have the Bible. Well, these Gnostics were claiming that and what they were claiming is the revelation that Jesus Christ was not actually a human being who lived and breathed in the flesh, but that he was the Spirit of God. He was an emanation of God an influence, and that the apostles just kind of wrote it in a story uh, as if he were a real character, but he wasn't a person. And yet Acts chapter 10, verse 39, records that Peter was preaching in Acts 10, 39, and he said, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, so in geographic areas, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, physically appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And it's interesting to me that Peter includes the fact that he ate and he drank with Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples in the upper room, he said, give me something to eat. And he munched it in front of them. And he swallowed it. And it didn't fall to the ground. He was not a ghost like Casper. He was not a spirit. He was a human being who could eat and drink with Peter. So Peter proclaimed an historical account of what he himself witnessed with his own eyes. That's what we believe in. Christianity isn't a system of belief. It isn't a lifestyle choice like vegetarianism. It is a belief in the claims and the teachings and the events of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John also defended the physicality of Jesus, that he was manifest in the flesh, that he was a real person. In, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's stressing the physicality of what he experienced with Jesus. The life was made manifest, there's our word, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That's which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and that your joy may be complete. This is something that John experienced firsthand and he's proclaiming it to you so that you will believe it and have fellowship with the others that believe it and thus have joy that Jesus Christ is alive. John knew Jesus firsthand, tangibly, in living color. Now, on September 9th, 2002, Buzz Aldrin was exiting a hotel in Beverly Hills. He had just done a TV interview, and as he walked out of the hotel, a journalist, Bart Sibrel, ran up to him with the Bible and demanded that he place his hand on the Bible and swear an oath that he had indeed walked on the moon. So uh, Buzz Aldrin ignored him, didn't dignify the demand with a response, at which point Cyril called him a cheat and a liar and a coward. So Buzz Aldrin socked him in the face. <laughs> Punched him. And Cyril didn't press charges. In fact, he ended up writing a letter to Aldrin apologizing for accosting him that way in the street. You know, not everybody believes the claims. Not everybody believes the testimony. Even today, educated people will deny this clear testimony. In fact, uh, the president, the former president of the American Atheist Society, Marianne Johnson, no relation, uh, Marianne Johnson, <laughs> Uh, was on Larry King Live, CNN, Larry King Live, and this is what she said. That there is, quote, there is not one shred of evidence that Jesus existed, unquote. Not one shred of evidence that Jesus existed. Really? I mean... Surely the eyewitness accounts of the apostles, the New Testament, that had been handwritten and copied and passed down the ages and distributed across the world would count at least as a shred of evidence, right? That's just willfully ignorant. Many people are willfully ignorant. Ignorant on purpose. Jesus Christ was not a myth like Jack and the Beanstalk or the Easter Bunny. There are no children yet today, right? No, he was real. He was an historical figure. These are actual events that happened, that occurred, that were recorded, that were witnessed. And he was seen by countless eyewitnesses. So he was manifest in the flesh. That is our first line of reasoning, the first voice harmonizing in this hymn. The second one is vindication. Vindication, verse 16 says, He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the spirits vindicated by the Spirit. Vindication is when something that you claim that people doubt is suddenly revealed to be true. Um, then you're vindicated of your claim. Uh, like when um, I told my friend 
Deidre Shannon that she should go out on a date with my other friend, Jesse Johnson, <laughs> that he was a really nice guy, that he was godly, that she would really like him, that they would make a good couple, and she said, no, I don't think so. prevailed upon her, eventually she decided to do it, and when I got their uh, wedding invitation in the mail, I said, VINDICATE IT! <laughs> yeah, they like Deidre. Um, Jesus said, if you don't believe in me, at least believe in the works that I do. The Spirit vindicated Jesus. Jesus made claims, outrageous claims, that could easily be uh, doubted until he did miracles to prove what he was claiming. The miracles that were empowered by the Spirit of God. For a human being to be able to do a miracle, uh, the Spirit of God would need to empower him. Now, why would the Spirit do that if Jesus was actually just a raving lunatic making crazy statements? No, the fact that he could do things by the power of, of the Spirit showed that he was vindicated in his claims. Romans 1 verse 3 says this. Paul writing in Romans 1 verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he was a des descendant from David physically in his genealogy, but he was claiming to be the son of God, not just the son of David, but the son of God, and that was vindicated by the Spirit. The Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. You see, the enemies of Jesus, they would, well, they would doubt his genealogy. They would doubt his teachings. They would doubt his claims. But they never, ever doubted his power. They never denied his power. It was undeniable. In John chapter 7, verse 31, many of the people believed in him and they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? I mean, the, the, the Jewish leaders were saying, no, 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 this man isn't the Messiah. He may be a prophet of God of some sort, but he's not the Messiah. And the people who believed in Jesus, that's us, the Christians, they were saying, what's the, what's the Messiah going to do better than this guy? I mean, walking on water, water into wine, uh, raising the dead, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, lame people leaping for joy. Like, what, are you, what are you waiting for? What will it take to prove to you that the Spirit is vindicating Jesus Christ? Well, I don't believe what Muhammad said to his Muslim disciples. And I don't believe what Joseph Smith said to his Mormon followers. Or what C.T. Russell said to the Jehovah's Witnesses or uh, L. Ron Hubbard said to the Scientologist following that he had because these are people just like you and me. They're, 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 just, they're just men. And I know that if I started a religion, no one should follow it. And I could make claims like they did, but just like them, I have no way of vindicating those claims. I have no way of proving myself because I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus did. Christ made claims and the Spirit vindicated him with God's power. So that's the second line of reasoning, manifestation and vindication. And the third one is confirmation. 
Verse 16 says, He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, and seen by angels. Seen by angels. So pop quiz, how many men walked on the moon? Well, let's be fair. How many men claimed to have walked on the moon? Twelve, that's right. Twelve men have claimed to walk on the moon. The first were Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin. Who were the second and third? Do you recognize the names? Pete Conrad and Alan Bean? Alan Bean passed away just last week. And yet we all know Neil Armstrong's name. We all know Buzz Aldrin's name. They even have little toy dolls named after them. But uh, you don't know Pete Conrad's name. You don't know Ellen Bean's name. They're not famous. Now, this is important because imagine you were Pete Conrad and Ellen Bean. And you go up in November 1969, just a few months after the fake moon landing, the claimed one, and you get off your lunar module and you see on the moon there's no footprints. There's no flag. There's no equipment left behind. There's no evidence that anyone's been here before. And you realize you're the first person on the moon. Your buddy hops out. You're the first people ever on the moon. Now you go back home. What do you think the chances are that they're going to play along with the story that Neil and Buzz made it there before them? Neil and Buzz, famous celebrities, heroes, fortune, Money, glory. Nobody even knows Pete Conrad and Alan Bean. You see, that's a strong line of reasoning is we know that the moon landing happened because of the testimony of the other astronauts that went later. The other astronauts that have been there, they took pictures of their footprints and the flag. Well, this is a line of reasoning for the claims that Jesus made too because there is one species of creature in the universe that would never ever go along with a human hoax. Angels. Angels. Angels are beings that live and breathe in the glory of God. If they see a human being claiming to be the Son of God, they're not going to play along with that. Never. And yet angels were at the birth of Jesus, remember? Gabriel before the birth... Gloria in excelsis Deo, you know, the choir at the birth, the shepherds. Angels were with Jesus um, after the, the temptation in the wilderness. Angels came to minister to him before he started his ministry. Angels were with him in Gethsemane, just before the crucifixion, the hour of his death, ministering to him in Gethsemane. There were angels at his tomb. When he rose from the dead, they were the ones standing there saying, he's not here, he is, he's risen. And there were angels at his ascension, remember that? They said, why are you guys looking up in the sky? He's going to come down the same way. There were two angels there too. So there were angels from before Christ's birth, the events attending his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Why would they do that if he wasn't really the Son of God? It's a very convincing line of reasoning, isn't it? He was seen by angels. The fourth line of reasoning is proclamation. After confirmation, proclamation. Verse 16, he was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. Now, one prophet theory of a fake resurrection was that the disciples stole the body. You've heard that, right? It's even recorded in the Gospels. Still believe today. 
that the disciples stole the body of Jesus to perpetuate this idea that his teachings and claims were true. Now, we understand the reason for a hoax. We would understand why Neil and Buzz would fake the moon landing because they became rich and they became famous. They became revered as heroes and celebrities. But why would the apostles fake this when the only thing that resulted for them was shame, scorn, arrest, torture, and execution? They didn't get anything from that. That one detail made all the difference for them, and yet they never left it out of their gospel presentation. They always get to the resurrection. They considered it the central tenet of the faith. It's what they kept talking about. You remember even Paul. Paul was preaching on Mars Hill in the Areopagus to the Greek philosophers, and he's preaching, and they're all listening to him, and then he gets to the part about the resurrection, and they're like, well, and those are the last words he gets out of his mouth. Oh, resurrection, fairy tales. Why didn't they just leave out the resurrection? The minor detail. The rest of the story is still nice. Turn the other cheek, you know, and all that. No, because, because it was true. They couldn't leave it out. It was an urgent part of the message. According to James Longuski, who's a professor of aeronautics and astronautic engineering at Purdue University, the moon landing conspiracy would have had to have involved 40,000 people. 40,000 people over 10 years of working on the Apollo mission, including scientists, engineers, technicians, skilled laborers, the 12 men who walked on the moon, six others who flew as pilots, another six who orbited the moon and saw the flag. They would all have had to keep the secret perfectly. And Longuski argues that it would have been much easier to really land on the moon than to generate such a huge conspiracy and fake the language. <laughs> That's true. Try to keep a secret just in your family. 40,000 people, perfectly, who never falter in one detail of the story for all those years, well, highly unlikely. And yet we see exactly the same thing happening with the apostles. This is a strong argument. John and Peter get arrested in Acts. James gets beheaded. Stephen gets stoned to death. Eventually, every last apostle ends up martyred for the cause, save John, who dies in exile because of his belief in Jesus. Now, how is it possible not a single person accused of faking the resurrection ever faltered in one single detail, never recanted one part of their story, not even once? Well, it must have been true. The next line of reasoning is globalization. This is the fifth one after proclamation. Globalization, also verse 16, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world. He was believed on in the world. This wasn't just something the apostles said. I mean, there were lots of myths that were uh, being generated, lots of legends, lots of stories, but none that really took root and grew into a worldwide global religion. And there's a reason for that. Jesus promised to build his church. Remember that? Remember that, Matthew 16, 18, you know, when Peter says, Thou art the Christ, and Jesus said that it's, that's not flesh and blood that revealed it to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Not you, Peter. Good job, Peter. You got the confession right. You're going to build the church. No, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. 
Jesus said that he would take personal responsibility for people in the world to believe in the gospel. And then we see the gospel starting to spread like a mustard seed, small, and it grows and it grows and it takes over the world. And we are here today, Gentiles in parts of the world that the gospel would never have got to unless Jesus Christ were building his church himself. The gates of Hades have been trying to shut it down and they fail because Jesus made a promise. If somebody says, I'm going to uh, build a sandcastle in your backyard and then you walk out the next day and there's a sandcastle and it's half built and the next day you walk out and there's, it's, it's even bigger and the next day it's even bigger, what do you know about the person who said he's going to do it? Well, at the very least that he's alive, right? Jesus Christ claimed that he would build his church, his church is being built, let's at least give him the benefit of the doubt that he's at least alive. Matthew 28, verse 18, he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. He told them to baptize. He told them to teach. And then he said, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we see that playing out even today. That promise is impossible to fulfill without the resurrection. Jesus must be alive to fulfill it. And so that's a line of evidence that... Jesus is backing up the globalization of this truth. And then the final line of reasoning after manifestation, vindication, confirmation, proclamation, globalization, and ascension. Ascension is the last one. Verse 16, he believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Taken up in glory. Referring to the ascension of Christ. Taken up in glory. That is a huge line of evidence. You know that uh, Muslims even believe that Jesus Christ was, was taken up. He was ascended. You really need to ask a Muslim f- friend of yours, what does that prove about what God thinks of Jesus and his claims and his teachings and his works? Jesus claimed to be the son of God and then instead of striking him dead for blasphemy, God ascends him into heaven? This ascension was the physical and visible part of the Father's promotion and exaltation of the Son for what he did. He wasn't just taken up, he was taken up into glory. He was given the promotion. Ephesians 1.20, he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. There is no higher position than at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ is at the top rung of the corporate ladder. He is the MD of the world. He is the CEO of all creation. He is the majority shareholder of the universe. Nobody tops that. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Something cool about that. I mean, human beings love promotion. Upgrade. It's hardwired into us. We always want to go further and faster and higher. That's that's why human beings find the tallest rock on earth and they want to go to the top. Uh, Somebody asked, a journalist asked George Mallory, who was the first person to attempt to summit um, 
this, uh, Mount Everest, I believe he actually was the first person to summit. That's a different conspiracy theory. Um, but uh, I have my reasons. But George Mallory, at the press conference before he tried, uh, was, was asked, why climb Everest? And remember what he said? Because it's there. We don't know why we want to go to the top of things. We just do. And then when we conquered the tallest thing on Earth, what was next? Well, the moon. The moon. That, it was the highest accomplishment we've ever achieved since Everest. And what's next? Mars. That's what keeps NASA in business, right? We just want to keep on going. And, and, and that's, that's part of being Christian too, is wanting to spread the kingdom, wanting to grow the kingdom. When the first mission goes to Mars, there'll be a Baptist on board. We're going to plant a church there. First Baptist, Mars. Or Mars Hill Bible Church or something. Then there'll be a wormhole. They'll go boldly go where no one's gone before. But Jesus transcended this. He transcended everything. He transcended every human ambition. And the Father played along. The only one who can give that status, the only one that can bestow that promotion is the Father, and the Father did it when He raised Him into glory. He was taken up in glory. And so the fact that the Father bestowed that honor on Him is evidence that the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus was accepted as the ultimate confirmation mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Philippians 2 verse 9 says it this way. Because of what Jesus did, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now this is an important point you need to bear in mind. I've given you these six voices harmonizing the truth of the gospel of the resurrection. I've given you the, these six lines of evidence, but you can't use them on your friends. You can't use them on unbelievers to evangelize them. They won't believe this if the Spirit of God isn't working in them already. You need to pray for them. You need to share the gospel with them. But for we who believe in Jesus Christ, this is meant to bolster our faith to remind us of the glory of our Savior. This is a hymn, a confession that would be said in churches among believers, a devotion to, to drive us to worship. But it has an implication. It has an implication. It should change your life. If it's true and you believe it, it should change your life. Now, I started by asking the question, is there any incontrovertible evidence to silence the conspiracy theorists once and for all about the moon landing? Here's the answer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If people walked on the moon or they didn't walk on the moon, it changes nothing. Nothing. What matters is if you believe that God walked on earth. Because if God walked on earth, and then we killed him, and then he rose from the dead and ascended into glory, well, if that's true, that changes everything. 
And if you believe that, you should see that evidence in your life. Your life should be an evidence of your faith in the resurrection. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. We don't live like those who have no law. How can you believe in the resurrection and all of Christ's teachings and all of Christ's claims and then sleep with your girlfriend? Cheat on your taxes. Gossip at the water cooler. Have a harsh word for your wife. Be an absentee father. Refuse to commit to a local church. Not give of your time and of your money and of your talents for the expansion of this kingdom. How, how can you carry on living a normal life that looks like every other unbeliever's life if you believe this is true? No, if it's true, the evidences that we just read will bolster your faith and the evidences of your life will speak volumes to your friends and family and co-workers who do not yet believe in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. If Jesus claimed to be God and he was raised from the dead to prove it, that changes everything. So the only question I'm leaving you with this morning is, what do you believe? Was the resurrection a conspiracy theory or gospel truth? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful hymn that bolsters our faith and I pray for anyone yet today who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ that your spirit would convict them bring them to repentance and grant them the full assurance of salvation through what he did and I just pray for all of us here Lord that our lives would continue to be changed day by day by the knowledge of the resurrection in his name Amen You have been listening to Emmanuel You can find more resources like this at ibcva.com Here is a parting word from Pastor Jesse. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, please visit our church website, ibcva.com. If you're not a member of a local church and you live in the Washington, D.C. area, we'd love to have you worship with us here at Emmanuel. We're located in Northern Virginia, and for more information about when and where we worship, check out our church website. I hope to personally meet you this Sunday after our service. But no matter where you live, it's our hope that everyone who uses this resource is involved in their own local church. Now may God bless you this week as you seek Jesus constantly, serve the Lord faithfully, and share the gospel boldly.